Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Today, I'm excited to have Andy Appleby on with me. Andy is the chairman and chief executive officer of General Sports Entertainment and founder of Apple Tree Advisory. He has more than 31 years of sales, marketing, and management experience. Andy, we met through IPO and we had drinks up in, in Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. And you have one of the more fascinating backgrounds of anyone I've ever met with. And really, what, what got me excited to, to sit down and talk to you with the, my colleague who was with me at the drinks, knew all about this Premier League story and was yeah. blown away that he was sitting across the table from you. And I was completely a total schmuck. I was unaware of, of any of it. Um, so I want to get into background and how you started because we actually grew up uh, in the same part of the world, which was really pretty small and, and wild the way that works. But can we jump right into the story, you, you know, the, the yeah. Premier League and, and how that all played out? And it's become kind of a cultural touchstone for some people. Yeah. So, Brian, I, I'll uh, just take you from the top. And, you know, I grew up in Bennington, Vermont, of all places. And much like most kids there, you know, wanted to be GM of the Red Sox. Um, I went to school, uh, college on a wrestling scholarship to Springfield College in Massachusetts, which was uh, ironically, the birthplace of basketball and the Hall of Fame and the Peach Basket, Naismith, all that. Um, and they came out with a degree. I was kind of resigned to being an athletic director and being in the athletic administration uh, master's program. And they called or sent me a letter in the summer and said, hey, we're considering doing this 
sports management master's. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, they actually have a master's degree in this. And, uh, and so I figured that I could always be an athletic director, but maybe just maybe this would allow me to get to be a part of sports, uh, of sports team. Uh, because back then, you know, none of us knew how to get involved in sports. Um, but so I got my master's degree. I did my internship at the old Capitol Center in uh, in Washington, actually Landover, Maryland. And then um, from there, I kind of shot the resume out to all the major sports teams. And the best offer came from the Pistons, um, not necessarily monetarily as much as I knew that they were building a new arena. And I figured, well, there'll be a lot of jobs. But and then also, you know, I was actually going to have a business card with uh, with, uh, you know, being part of a professional team in the Detroit Pistons. Um, so I came here and, you know, I was really one of the first people um, in sports that actually went to college for it. Right. Because most times back then it was a kind of a fun job for people and, you know, people loved it and and, you know, were with the team for as long as they could be. Uh, but in my case, you know, not only had I just spent a lot of money on my master's degree, but also was coming here to, uh, you know, Detroit, Michigan, of all places. Uh, and, you know, recognizing that, you know, and, and also recognizing in a, in a sports team environment that it only takes you a day or so to figure out, you know, you got to be three times better than everybody to even get noticed and, and to even be somebody. And now, you know, fast forwarding um, a year or two after I got there, you know, I was probably three times better than everyone, but only uh, because I worked three times harder. Uh, and, you know, it's so funny when kids ask me all the time what it takes to be successful in sports and maybe in all jobs. And, and I don't know, I, I'm very boring with the answer, but it's just, you know, a lot of extra work. And in my case, um, where most of the people that I was uh, sort of competing against from a sales perspective, uh, and we might have had 50 or so uh, that I was competing with, uh, you know, they all lived locally and, you know, went home at five o'clock. And, you know, to me, my day was till at least nine or 10 and weekends. Uh, but I figured, you know, wow, this is a great opportunity for me. And even though none of us went to college for sales, I thought, gosh, you know, this this is a, it's actually a great opportunity selling because it really helps to take the subjectivity out of the equation. In fact, I'm writing a book about that now um, because, you know, you the sales side of it was so. Um, so objective, where if you were so much better than everyone, eh, nothing they can do. You got to get promoted. You got to get a lot more money, and you, you know, so um, and and a lot more status, frankly. And so, uh, you know, to me, that's still an easy equation. Uh, my son started work for the uh, Chicago Fire of the Major League Soccer, and you know, we talk pretty much every night uh, about how he needs to work till at least seven. <laughs> he doesn't have to work uh, as far as, as long as I did necessarily, but he has to, you know, if he can work till seven, that's two more hours than everybody else. And that's 10 more hours in a given work week. And so, you know, if you put in that type of effort on the sales side, you know, you're bound to be mildly successful. So anyway, but from my standpoint, I sort of recognized that at an early age. And I was very fortunate that, 
we built this beautiful palace arena. We won two championships. Uh, when we, when I first got there, I, you know, we had the makings of a pretty good team. We had just drafted Dennis Rodman and John Sally and, uh, you know, looked like we could be a good team, but we started out, I think that year two and 10. And I'm like, geez, you know, this isn't a very good team, but then we sort of caught fire, uh, and, and, you know, wound up having a great first year. And then, uh, second year we made it to the NBA finals and, you know, probably should have beat the Lakers that year. And then we won two more and, and the two more we won were just when the palace started. Um, so, you know, you couldn't have a better timing for a new arena than that. We then went on to uh, buy an amphitheater locally that we really transformed into something fantastic. So, in addition to sort of getting a PhD in sports management, um, you know, we won two championships and two championship rings. And then we were also the arena of the year every year that I was there and also the amphitheater of the year nationally. So, um, but it wasn't as if Brian, that I was any kind of a born entrepreneur, uh, like some people suggest, uh, or even a serial entrepreneur. It wasn't really like that. In my case, I had kind of gotten, uh, as far as you could possibly get in the organization. Uh, Tom Wilson, our CEO was a brilliant guy and he, he, um, you know, he was only 13 years older than me. And it wasn't as if I wanted to leave this unbelievably great job, um, you know, just to leave it. I just felt like if I can somehow create the next great company, then I'll leave. And so it really took me a few years to even, you know, create a business plan big enough for me to, to really allow me to even leave. And um, so, uh, but right off the bat, um, you know, we bought a, a minor league baseball team in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which I really fell in love with. Um, and we were the team of the year in 2003 and 2004. And, um, you know, everything about minor league baseball, I love just family, affordable, you know, great baseball, close to home, you name it. And, um, and so uh, then we started a synthetic turf business. So we were kind of at the forefront of when all those high school and college football fields came into play. So I would say from 2005 to 2009, we sold a good majority of the high school and college football fields in the Midwest. Uh, we sold it in 2009 to the parent company of AstroTurf. Um, and, but just before that, uh, we bought the aforementioned uh, Premier League club that you were talking about uh, called Darby County. Um, it's spelled Derby, but pronounced Darby. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was, that club was one of the original 12 teams of English soccer, uh, football, as they call it, uh, in 1884. We were also much like the Steelers of the seventies in America, in the sense that we won everything there was to win twice there. So tremendous history, tremendous heritage. And even though Derby is a relatively tiny place in England, uh, you know, we, we routinely had over 30,000 fans coming to our games. Um, and uh, that was a great experience. I had recruited uh, a tremendous ownership group, just some of the most salt of the earth uh, people that you can imagine, uh, several team owners, U.S. team owners as part of that. 
and and you know since we're both in YPO, Brian, uh, several YPO people from all over the world, and as what as we all know about YPO, you know we know a few jerks in YPO, but hardly any. You know they're just great people, and you know this this group of people came from everywhere from Lebanon to Hong Kong to Guatemala to Calgary to Beverly Hills. And and yet we were all, you know, kind of the same in the sense that we're all good guys and good people. And, and uh, you know, we we all uh, kind of uh, were adults and understood, you know, how uh, how things worked. I mean, that said, I will tell you that it is one heck of a challenge to run an English English football team uh, because, you know, you're you're quite a ways away from it. In our case, we had very capable people running it that I had recruited along the way. Uh, but, you know, it's it's um, the great news about owning a team there is that the fans really, really care. Uh, the downside of that is the fans really, really care. <laughs> and so when you win, you know, you're you're floating on air uh, when you lose uh, both from an ownership and a fan perspective, you know, you, people want to jump off the highest building and, uh, and sometimes they do sadly. Uh, but, but um, it was a um, all in all a great experience uh, despite the massive lows and some of the massive highs. Um, and I went to half the home games over that period uh, and you know, I, I tried to live it as much as I could. And uh, we, uh, you know, again, had had a lot of success with it, particularly at the end uh, where we were, uh, you know, competing to get back in the Premier League. We wound up selling the team in 2015. And uh, and at that time, uh, you might have mentioned, you remember that I had, um, uh, we had bought the team in Fort Wayne. And so, um, in my mind, I had always wanted to bring minor league baseball to Metro Detroit, where I had lived for you know 30 years, and so this gave me an opportunity to really use every good idea I'd seen or done. And so, uh, in 2016, um, we built this magnificent ballpark where I'm actually here today uh, to um, to uh, actually own uh, our own baseball league. So we could have, uh, you know, joined another independent baseball league, but I really felt that I had sort of the skill and the acumen and the relationships um, and the experience to actually create my own league. And so uh, when you create your own league, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of challenges, obviously, uh, but what it did is it gave me a chance to use every good idea I'd seen or done, both from the design of the ballpark, uh, the sales side of things, the marketing side, uh, the game presentation, the staffing. Um, and and so it was a um, it's it's actually been a great experience. And and, you know, our whole model here from day one was, you know, and much like our model and most things we do in YPO, you know, let's do well, but let's try to do some good also. And so I knew from owning the team in Fort Wayne that this could provide me with that wonderful platform to give back to the community. Never did I dream that we'd have over a thousand charities, though, each year uh, that come here each summer uh, that let to leverage the ballpark to raise money. So it's been 
way beyond my wildest dreams, the amount of good that we've been able to do here uh, and the social uh, and economic impact we've made on the community. We also have uh, upwards of 60,000 kids in our reading program. So again, it's um, it's been great in the sense that we've done well financially, but also good. And the ballpark, uh, you know, was uh, was very successful from day one, uh, and it, we're now going into our seventh year, uh, Brian. So uh, that was, you know, kind of the culmination of the first part of my career, and also being able to leverage all of my business and friendships here in Metro Detroit. Um, so, you know, we, we uh, were able to have a, a really successful operation here. And, and the other part is, is that, um, you know, I love it so much that, you know, people ask me, you know, how, how could you go to the 70 games in the summer? And uh, I, I seriously, I, I, I can't think of a better place to be in the summer than, than our games. And, and who wouldn't want to host three or 4,000 people every night that, you know, are just having the time of their life and their kids are having it. The grownups have a great time. It's, it's just a, it's like having a, like, it's like I'm hosting a party every, every single game. And it's uh it's just a wonderful experience. Um, so we do all of that, Brian. And, uh, but about uh, a little over two years ago, I had an idea to create a, a world sports agency. And again, using a lot of the same ideas from what we've done over the years, certainly over my career, but also um, leveraging the ideas from owning the team in England, one of which is to get into the player representation business. And all of us that ever were a sports fan, you know, wanted to represent uh, Magic Johnson or Larry Bird, or in my case, maybe Carl Yaskrimski or the old Red Sox player or Jim Rice or Fred Lynn or Roger Clemens. Um, who wouldn't want to be Jerry Maguire? Uh, it's just that what, you know, in my case, we I'd always been part of major teams or own teams or been a part of affiliated with Major League Baseball in the case of Fort Wayne. And then, of course, owning teams in England. So I never had the opportunity to even be an agent, but uh, with the advent of not owning a team in England and just having our baseball league, which is independent to Major League Baseball, so not a conflict, it allowed me to think about being uh, uh, player agents. And so uh, we uh, we started uh, the agency a little over two years ago. We represent about 120 players now. Uh, worldwide and and growing, thankfully, mostly men's soccer players, uh, men's footballers, if you will, but several now women footballers. Uh, that's becoming a uh, a really big part of the world. Uh, you know, women's sports is really exploding, thankfully. Um, and then we have a, a Formula One driver. We have several of the top cricket players. So. We're, we're, we're in that business now and, and growing. We now are in North America as well. So we're starting to pick up uh, high level uh, football players just coming out of the draft this year. Um, and we also, um, we also have other areas of our business. We have a team sales, mergers and acquisitions business uh, where we're working on several team deals for either the buying or selling of teams. 
Um, we have a, an executive search business and team consulting. So sports executive search, team consulting, um, and we have a sales division. So we represent uh, the likes of Barcelona, Ferrari, Manchester United, uh, with a lot of their uh, property sales. So, you know, maybe their Jersey partnership or the naming rights at, you know, Tottenham Stadium or you name it. Uh, we are a third party representation firm. And um, so, again, an opportunity for me to leverage all these relationships that I've built. And, and I'm a little bit unique in our business, just in the sense that I'm likely um, the only person ever that kind of sold every ticket suite and sponsorship, managed at every level of team sports, and then also owned at every level of team sports. And the other side of it is, is in 1986, when I got out of college, um, you know, that was, you could almost trace back to be almost to the day, the whole modern day era of sports management and marketing starting. So not because of me necessarily, but, but, you know, that having that background where I've been in this modern day era of business almost from day one, that's allowed me to build so many relationships. So when you think of most of the team presidents, at least here in America, Almost all of them either worked for me, worked with me, or was a peer of mine along the way. So when you have a platform of businesses such as I have now, it's it's a wonderful thing when you can um, be in the conversation of just about any deal in sports when you think of the areas that we're in right now. And I'm not suggesting for a second that we will win every deal in sports. Uh, but I am suggesting that we can be in the conversation and at the table of just about any deal in sports within 24 to 48 hours. And I, I think that is a big advantage for us. Uh, so so that's that's kind of where we stand today, Brian. Um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, I have several day jobs. It's 24 uh, seven effort, uh, even on the weekends. Um, uh, but, you know, no one would have any empathy or sympathy for me because it's it's uh, an amazing business that we built and not to say for a second that um, that we ever have a lot of time off and if you know I always tell my son you know I'm only as popular as as the work that I put out you know I I'm, I'm very popular but if I didn't you know, make any calls or emails for two or three weeks, I wouldn't get any emails or calls despite having lots of relationships. So, you know, it's not as if you can just, you know, completely rest on your laurels or you mentioned 31 years. I think you might have read an old bio, but I'm more like in 36 years now in, in our business. Um, so it's 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 a great place to be and it's a great platform that I and we have built, um, but it requires a lot of attention every day. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer -peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. So I want to go back a little bit to the to the soccer experience yep. you know the premier league obviously has changed dramatically over the last 10 or 20 years especially in terms of the ownership profile yep. what was the response like initially to have a 
a U.S. owner of this historic English football club? That is a great question. And in our case, we had bought that team while it was in the Premier League, but it was in last place um, <clears throat> with not a lot of prospects to stay in the Premier League, which is one of the reasons we got a little better deal on it financially in the, in the actual deal. But it was also um, very positive because they perceived uh, a new owner as being uh, not necessarily better than other owners, but you know, positive in the sense that we were going to be able to bring a lot of our resources to bear, not just financially, but also from a, you know, an American marketing uh, standpoint from you know, our customer service, our ticket sales, our sponsorship, um, and, uh, you know, game presentation, if you will. So a lot of those things that we have, um, you know, maybe a little more experience than, than some of the English clubs, um, just because in our business, um, you know, even take a place like Detroit, you know, there's four or five or six or seven major teams uh, here. So there's always competition and, and it, it makes competition makes everyone better. In most English t towns, you know, Derby County has been the only game in town for 130 something years. So it's not, it, so, you know, without the sort of the local competition, if you will, uh, you know, teams were not exactly that proactive back then 15 years ago. So we felt like we had a lot to bring to the table. So, um, but but as I was kind of alluding to earlier, Brian, it it you know you you have a little bit of a honeymoon period for a few games, but when you start losing, you know you, you know your honeymoon is over very very quickly. Uh, and in the case of us, we uh, we had our challenges uh, to get a handle on this, frankly. And you know the financial crisis hit about six months after we bought this team, which you know I think if all of us had a crystal ball, we would not have bought our team in January of 2008. Uh, but, you know, and that that really negatively affected us as well. We kind of had to throw our business plan out the window uh, and, and start fresh. And we did. And it took us a few years to really get back. Maybe I'm being generous. Maybe it was four or five years uh, to really get to be contenders again. Um, but it, because like in 2012, for instance, uh, we had a span of 22 games where we lost 17 of them, which is not easy to do in English football when all games are a lot of games are, you know, one goal differences. And and you can you can tie you can do draws as well. Uh, and I always tell this story, but I got 5500 emails um, from fans. Uh, and they spared no one, uh, with maybe the possible exception of my mother. Uh, and, uh, and, but I emailed every single person back and it was, uh, not a lot I could say because, you know, I, I cannot get out there and play, nor would they want me to play. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I think, I think that showed a side of us and me that, you know, maybe other chairmen of teams over the years wouldn't have necessarily bothered with it, but I did take the time to answer every email. And when we did turn the tide in 2013 and 2014, we had an incredible ride to the top and made it all the way to Wembley and, you know, should have won that game, but we lost. Um, and the, the game before that Wembley game, though, we clinched 
the spot to play at Wembley uh, for the big championship game. And we literally, you know, had our entire fan base on the pitch after the game. And it was uh, such a euphoric time for me because uh, in our ownership group, because, you know, we'd been through so many challenges with our fans and, you know, now they really were, um, appreciative of of us and and me and and so um it was uh it was probably the probably the best moment i've ever had in sports uh amongst lots of great moments but that one was probably the the highlight of my career yeah uh, i i can't imagine i'm sure it was incredible what are your thoughts about the super league mm-hmm. do you think it's a positive development or are you in the camp of most of the kind of everyday fans that think it's just a a bridge too far? Well, it's interesting because, you know, from the American capitalist standpoint, you know, I, I honestly think they actually have a point. Uh, You know, certainly they, they, they are um, controlling, controlling, uh, a lot of the best possible teams and you know, obviously they drive business much the same way as I think the Yankees and the Red Sox and Dodgers drive things and, and maybe Mets and some other teams I'm forgetting uh, drive the sports here. Um, and uh, you know, so I could sort of understand where they were coming from. Uh, but at the same time, I could see why, you know, the uprising and, and part of that is just, the tradition of English football and every aspect of it, and a few of which, few things of which we tried to change, or at least, you know, maybe try to implement a salary cap at one time. Um, we tried to uh, talk to the league about changing uh, their three o'clock, uh, which was kind of an old blue law where, you know, you couldn't have television at 3 p.m. every Saturday, which is a, still a rule. And that was uh, a rule I think that the owners came up with years ago. So fans actually had to come to the game and not see the game on TV. And, you know, I think that could be a little bit outdated because I, I, I think, you know, we'd love to still have uh, people at home watching our games and, 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 and kind of getting hooked on, uh, on, on the excitement of, of our team. Uh, but, but, you know, a lot of things like that were just, you know, rule changes. Let's, maybe we should make the goal a little, a little bigger, or, you know, you know, maybe change the offside rule slightly, um, you know, or change the substitution rule, which I think if, if I was, uh, you know, owner of, of, of the day for worldwide football, I might change that because I, you know, I, I think it would be really a whole different uh, aspect if you could, you know, have players sit and, you know, bring in a second team like the NBA and, and, you know, uh, I just think that that would really add a lot to the game. But I can understand the traditionalists, too, and all the people maybe shutting off this broadcast or podcast right now when they hear me say that. <laughs> but my point was, is that you uh, <clears throat> it's very, very hard to change things <laughs> and, and change the culture uh, in English football. So let's use that as a segue into baseball. I want to touch on this before you run out of time. I had John Lore on my show who's hoping to um, bring a, a baseball team to Nashville, Music City uh-huh. Baseball. Fascinating guy. Cool story. You all probably may have crossed paths. He's been in the professional sports world for a long time. But um, I love baseball. 
I grew up, you know, watching the Mets with my dad back in New York in the day. There's been a lot of press recently about how viewership, especially amongst younger generations, is going down precipitously. Games continue to be longer. Now it's just all about home runs. Pitching continues to get better. I mean, what are your thoughts there about changes to the game to engage with a younger generation? Well, I think it's the uh, a question that everybody's wrestling with, none more so than the commissioner of baseball. Um, he is constantly trying to figure out a way to make things better. He's uh, doing a great job, in my opinion. Um, but, uh, you know, it is hard. And, you know, there's some of that in English football as well, because our fan base and Darby is a uh, similar average age uh, of, uh, of uh, fans in baseball, you know, in the fifties. And, you know, again, we're doing everything we can in English football to bring uh, young kids uh, to games. And it's very similar here in our case with our league, again, being the owner of the league, we can do things that, you know, we don't need to ask for 22 or 25 owners to vote on things you know, we can kind of vote on it right away. Um, and so we actually have a two hour and 30 minute time limit. Um, so no inning can start uh, past two hours and 30 minutes, uh, Brian. And so, you know, we, we feel like we're doing our best to, to end the four hour games, uh, if you will. And, uh, but, you know, again, what you're up against, especially in major league baseball is the traditionalist, you know, that's they they think the best part about baseball is there's no clock uh and you know it is what it is and in the most pure purest way but a lot of those purists they didn't want the extra wild card games and extra playoffs and extra teams making it and um you know interleague play and all of that has proved to be um you know successful but there's no question brian there's a lot of issues in sports um, and some of these sports don't translate quite as well to the kids today that have a very short attention span, you know, used to playing video games and having Twitter feeds. And like my son, for instance, uh, he he hates it. Like I have to pretty much tape all games, uh, you know, video, uh, videotape all games, uh, DVR all games because, you know, I just don't have the time to sit through an entire game. Uh, but he hates it because he hates when we have games on pause because he's got to, you know, tweet and, and do all those things. So that's part of the reason he uh, he hates watching games with me. Um, so but again, it's, uh, you know, all things that that we're all going to have to solve, uh, both from a baseball and a, an English football perspective. And, but the flip side of that is, you know, considering all these advances in technology, the cord cutting the way people digest media has changed. You mentioned DVR streaming. Live sports is still one of the things that compels people to tune in and media media will pay for it, right? So it, it's interesting, the dynamic of, you know, you're fighting against this lack of attention amongst the population. But I mean, I, I think famously the NFL has made more money this last season than they ever have in history. I think seven of the top 10 most watched programs were NFL games this last yeah. year. I think it, it continues even, to keep going up. Right. So, yeah, well, and, and you're absolutely right. And that is, 
the other thing that everyone sort of learned in the pandemic is that, you know, whatever show it is, you can watch it with your spouse uh, any time of the day or night and binge or do whatever. It's almost like there's no show that's not DVRable these days. Um, but in sports, and I'm a little bit of an exception because I, I need to work on the weekends. Uh, but, but like, you know, it is true that it's the live programming is what's driving all of the rights fees and frankly, the valuations of these teams. And, um, you know, I think you had said seven of the 10, I think I'd take it a step further. I think it's like 49 out of the top 50 TV programs were regular season NFL games for God's sakes. So, yeah, so you're right in the sense that, you know, live sports, uh, you know, golf's the same way. Live, live sports is is really where the the money is because you know everything else is uh, is purely DVR now. I mean, no one like uh, you know has appointment television to watch Seinfeld at nine o'clock or something. You know. So you've been in the business a long time. We're we're bumping up against forty minutes, and so we mindful of your your schedule. Predictions moving forward for minor league baseball. I know a lot of groups suffered during COVID, but it still seems like there's a lot of groups like yourselves that are that are thriving. Well, we are. And now, again, lots of hard work by a wonderful staff that I have. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a big challenge. You know, 2020 was per- particularly challenging for us in Michigan, just in the sense that, you know, we can only have 100 people coming to our games which, you know, in, in most of our opinions didn't make a lot of sense, but okay. Um, because, you know, we're not an outdoor wedding, we're a 10 acre, you know, facility. So uh, you can imagine you could shoot a cannon off uh, between people. Um, and then last year we did get back to full capacity after June 1st. And uh, I got to say, for the most part, we were back to normal, Brian, you know, in our case, we have to, I think all all entertainment facilities just have to get people out of the habit of just staying home every single night. (laughs) And, you know, we're not in competition with anyone except the couch Uh, and people, (laughs) we need to get people off the couch. If we can get them here to our ballpark, you know, they're going to have a great time. Their kids are going to have a great time. Their grandkids are going to have a great time, but it is, it is, it is a challenge this year. And again, as we sit here, you know, we still have a lot of cases of COVID in Michigan, uh, but they're mostly mild. They're mostly this Omicron. Hopefully, um, you know, most everyone is going to get it and, and mildly, I hope, of course. And, you know, hopefully we can get this in our rear view mirror uh, for the summer. I think if we do, I think we could very well have our best year ever, just simply because, you know, companies haven't been able to have their company picnics in three years. And, you know, we do a lot of company picnics here uh, and certainly uh, pre-pandemic, hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, So we're hopeful that um, it'll be more of a coming out party for these companies this summer. And, and again, I think, you know, all of sports is, is hoping for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andy, I want to thank you for coming on. If people are interested in learning more about the ball club, um, and are in, in the Detroit area want to check it out. And also, if they have interest with your services that you're providing on the professional sports side, what's the yeah. best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, I'll just give you my cell phone number. It's 248-420-6573. 
or my email is aappleby at generalsports.com. That's two A's, two P's, L-E-B-Y at generalsports.com. Our website's generalsports.com and uspbl.com. That's our baseball league. Uh, and yeah, feel free to uh, uh, ask me any questions. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always fun. You know, I grew up on the New York side of the Vermont border, but spent a lot of time in Bennington growing up as a kid. To, um, and so it brings back good memories for me. And I want to thank you. I know you're a very busy man, so I appreciate you carving out some time. And best of luck heading into the spring here with your ball club. Well, thanks a lot for having me today. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 